All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to sit down and talk with Zachary Smith. He is a truck driver out of Texas, and he is an avid outdoorsman. He loves to hunt and fish, you name it. He probably does it or has done it. And I just, I really enjoyed my talk with him. Like a lot of my guests, I just feel like I could sit and talk with hours for these guys. They're like immediate hunting buddies once we once we start sharing our passion and journeys and stories from previous hunts or fishing trips or whatever it is that we've done in the outdoors. And so I look forward to getting down to Texas and hunting with him at some point. I really want to go down and do a sandhill crane hunt. I think that would be amazing. It's always been on my bucket list and something that I want to do. And so hopefully in the near future, Zach and I can make that trip happen or he can come up here and we can do some hunting up here together. But here in Missouri, there's a couple things I want to make you aware of. Our frog season did kick off. We went out the first two nights and had a lot of fun. Um, There will be a podcast about that coming out here shortly. And then another thing is I've been checking trail cameras like crazy. I've had fawns, turkey poults, baby coyotes, um, big bucks, small bucks, does. Uh, I, I discovered there's a issue with deer's noses sometimes called Roman nose. And instead of it being like concave going from their eyes down to the end of their nose, it's actually rounded. It's like convex. It pops out and it gives like this big dome shape when it's look, when you're looking at it from the side. And so I've got a buck on camera that I call Valentino and he has Roman nose. And then there's a doe that I saw last year and she popped up again this year that also has it. It sounds like it's not like a life-threatening thing, but maybe just a genetic disorder that causes their noses to look like that. And so, anyways, I thought that was kind of cool, but if you guys want to follow along at all with what the trail cameras are doing, what they're producing, the the bucks and does and animals that are popping up, feel free to hop on my other social media platforms and check those out. It's the Nomadic Outdoorsman on basically all Uh, social media platform so you can go along and follow along with videos on those and then also I want to share a bit of sad news so the primary hunting property that I have here in southwest southwest Missouri um, the owner of that passed away this past week and uh, it was difficult news to hear he was a great man he was in his early 90s I believe his family was close around him Uh, for his last few days, but we're going to be honoring him and his memory this coming week. But just keep his family in your prayers, if you would, um, because I know it's a difficult time for them. And so um, I do also want to apologize for the audio on this episode. I don't know what it was. There was some type of interference that was causing kind of a clicking noise, and it could be that Zach is an over-the-road truck driver. He was actually on a trip uh, driving and he pulled over on the side of the road just because we had this podcast scheduled. And so he pulled over in like a pit stop area and was just on the phone in his truck. So the, the clicking doesn't continue throughout the whole show, but it is here at the beginning and I know it's at the end. Um, But please bear with me through that and stick it out and enjoy the good show. So we're going to jump right in. Here we go. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay.
All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Zachary Smith. And Zach's a guy that reached out on social media about being on the show, but he is an avid outdoorsman, uh, loves to fish, and he's been doing it for a lot of years. I mean, longer, I guess, longer than or earlier than I started. Um, so, Zach, welcome to the show. All right, thanks, man. Nice to be here. Um, why don't you start off by just sharing a little bit about yourself with the listeners, kind of how you got into the outdoors, um, and then what you enjoy about it now. All right. So, yeah, like we were talking about, you know, I'm 25, I grew up here. I've grown up here in the state of Texas. I've only ever lived outside of Texas one time. Um, I started hunting and fishing at a very young age. Um, like I said, you know, I think I killed my first year at four years old. My love of the outdoors really truly started after my parents got divorced and I got to spend a lot more time outdoors with my father and you know every day after work and after school we were going fishing and during deer season on the weekends we were hunting every weekend sometimes even after school and work and uh you know I've always been a huge outdoorsman when I was in high school my stepdad and I started our own guide service doing guided duck hunts to do some fishing trips down in south Texas uh on the coast there and then uh, after I graduated you know, I spent a lot of time fishing with a lot of good friends and I spent most of my time was dedicated to duck hunting. Actually, I don't think I deer hunted for probably four years. And then uh, I finally got a chance to come back home and got settled back in. I started deer hunting avidly. Uh, I got a really nice 10 point this past year. Nice. Uh, and I hunted all season long and it was the only deer I got. Uh, but really, I got laid off last year from Slumberjay and that was when I really started focusing on fishing. I mean, I went out and I think I hadn't had a fishing pole in two years and I went out and spent probably $500 at Academy and Bass Pro Shops and got the perfect setup. And I've spent every waking minute I have available over the last year and a half I've been fishing. That's awesome. Yeah. Fishing something yeah, that so, yeah. I feel like I, I really get into fishing during the summer, like when all the hunting yeah. stuff isn't going on. And then I almost completely forget about it as soon as, you know, dove hunting, waterfowl, deer hunting all those seasons open up then i'm like i'll go months without having a fishing rod in my hands yeah i, I, I last year after i bought my fishing rod when uh when duck season and deer season started uh, you know i got the fishing rod holder in the house and i got come in from work one day and i was like man i haven't been fishing in probably six months let's go fishing you know <laughs> uh, a lot of times when i go hunting duck hunting with my stepdad because i don't have a boat but he does uh, we'll do a casting blast and we'll duck hunt in the morning and on the way back in we'll troll and fish the whole lake until we get back to the dock man that's awesome yeah the the whole casting blast thing was a new thing to me moving down here to missouri yeah. all my buddies i mean if we go out like on an overnight trip yep. almost every time someone's bringing a fishing pole also but we like to go yeah. to public land and do some waterfowl hunting on like big lakes and yeah. a lot of those lakes are really well known for cat fishing um, some of them for bass fishing. There's even a couple lakes around here that I guess have muskie in them, but I've never caught a muskie in Missouri. Yeah. So actually when I was up there in Missouri, uh, doing my CDL school, uh, when I was fishing Lake Springfield, we, uh, we ended up going to a different spot that was a little bit closer to actual Springfield. And this guy caught, I think it was called a paddlefish. I don't know what it is, but I mean, it, it's, it's snout was about this long. And about that wide and he, he was about seven foot long in total and I'm, i've never seen that fish before it looked like a giant shark that was freshwater almost yeah like uh like a spoonbill 
almost, but it was just like it got way oversized or something. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, I know a ton of people catch fish up here that are like prehistoric like that. I mean, they look straight out of a dinosaur movie. Yeah, see, when we were fishing out here, and it was, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that app, Fish Brain. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I use that to my advantage a lot of times, especially if I'm in an area that I don't know and I want to find a good fish to find. And when he took, we left the dam, we were fishing on the uh, relief side of the dam. And because uh, there's, you know, plenty of water in there. And when we left, we'd been gone about an hour and I was just looking at the app trying to find something. And he had logged that catch literally 20 minutes after we left. I watched him walk oh, in man. and I was walking down. I was like, man, come on. Dang. Yeah, that'd be a haul. I've never. I've never caught a fish close to that. I think the biggest fish I've ever caught is probably like 40 inches, but I can't imagine a seven foot fish. The biggest one I've got right now under my belt is a uh, four and a half foot alligator gnar. That one, I actually caught him by accident because at the time when I went to CDO school, I was living in Texarkana and we fished, uh, I used to fish the dam at Wright Batman all the time. And uh, over there, if you take a silver spoon with a treble hook, and you stand on the relief side of the dam, there's constantly water coming out of that lake. And I mean, it's coming out pretty fast. So if you stand up close to the dam and you cast out and you reel against the water, uh, that silver spoon, there's a lot of sand bass and stuff in there. And I happened, I don't know how I managed to do it, but I hooked him just, I hooked the dog right on the top of his back and it hooked that stuck in his, in his exoskeleton and he couldn't get off. And I, I don't know how I didn't bust my line, but I managed to get him out. Jeez, that's yeah, crazy. I want to I wanna bow fish for alligator gar like that. Watching guys do that, that seems like so much fun. We've, That's I, one thing I've never mastered. Yeah, we, we've bow fished for carp and stuff before, but um, there's I see, I see needle nose gar a ton here, especially oh, yeah. like when we go floating in Arkansas. We'll get up and we like to yeah. cliff jump on the Buffalo River. Like we'll climb up on these cliffs at different heights. But in I the can. summer – after like if if it had just rained for you know several days you let the water go down and it just turns like bluish green but like gorgeous i mean like picturesque and you can see all the way to the bottom and you'll see like four or five foot needle nose gar all just like stacked sideways on the bottom of the river and i thought man even like like a hawaiian sling spear or something like that going down with goggles it'd be so much fun yeah so I'm sure you've probably been to the Bass Pro Shops there in Springfield. Uh, that big alligator guard they have in there that they call it world record. World record, I, I have to disagree with that one because a guy that I used to work with at Slumberjay before we got laid off uh, in the San Antonio River, right like 10 miles from where I was living at the time, Kennedy, about an hour south of San Antonio, uh, he caught off of just a rod and reel. He uses offshore rods. So that's all he fishes for is alligator guard. He caught a 12 and a half foot alligator guard in the river there holy cow yeah Yeah, i think i mean i think a lot of the world records that they have it's it's like it's a world record because they they actually called it in or documented it you know i know guys i personally know guys that have shot mule deer out in colorado and they'll shoot like 200 plus inch mule deer and they could get entered they could get entered in like the boone and crockett book or the pope and young book or whatever but they just they're like, you know, I, I don't even care. I don't want my, I don't need my name in that. I don't need people yeah. knowing that I'm shooting deer this big. And so they won't do exactly. it. And so I think there's probably a lot of world records that wouldn't stand if like the actual world record guys yeah, had recorded it. I actually reported what they got. Uh, about five years ago, the company that my stepdad worked for, 
uh, every year at Christmas. They give them a cash bonus and then they pay for them. They tell them, pick a place you want to go hunting and they pay for everything. Up all the way down to the fuel and food. And so I think it was five or six years ago, maybe, it was up here in Rock Springs up by Junction, which is about 30 miles north of where I'm sitting, or west of where I'm sitting at right now. And uh, he was at, he had a, what was it, a bighorn ramp. And he, he killed this thing at 60 yards with a 44 Magnum with a scope on it. Jeez. And it was a, a Taurus Raging Bull 44 Magnum, you know, the big pistol, and put the nice uh, Leopold scope on it. And uh, you know, he went up there just to kill one. And uh, he ended up, you know, like to the people that he was hunting with, that they, they that got paid for it, uh, they entered it all in, in all the information for him. He ended up getting a silver medal in the world record book with it. Holy cow. That's yeah. so cool. So those are all desert bighorns down there, right? Yeah, it's a mixture because like in Rock Springs, like where I'm sitting at right now, like I showed you a minute ago, it's, this is all, this is what we call the Texas Hill Country. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like being, it's, it's our version of the mountains. Uh, it stays it's it's a mixture of the hill country and the desert because you know you got trees and you got grass but if you get past the grass all it is is sand and rock down there and so those 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 bighorn rams they they tend to flourish out here and this, where i'm sitting at right now is prime spot here in texas for fallow axis mule deer this is where they all hang out at right here yeah see i feel like a lot of people look at texas and all they think of is like high fence hunting but Texas has so much to offer and they have, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of land that you can just get out and hunt in different. Yeah. I mean, like you're talking about the hill country, but then also like desert mountainy stuff. Yep. I, I want to get down there so you got, bad. You got, you got the desert out in West Texas, you hit East Texas, you hit pine trees and big hills. You hit South Texas, you got sand and we stacked trees, but you got monster deer down in South Texas. I mean, uh, not that I killed this year, but he, I think he scored 127 is what he was, which is a little on the smaller side. But uh, my senior year in high school, I was hunting my uncle's high fence ranch that he used to have in George West, which is uh, about 60 miles outside of Corpus Christi. And I shot an eight point, two and a half year old pole buck is what they considered him. And this eight point, his G2s were, one of them was 12 and a half inches long. The other one was 13 inches long. And he scored a total of like 152. Which that's is a two and a half. Year half. Yeah, that's a pretty good size. And that was straight corn fed. They don't feed protein out there. Yeah. Man, it's it's so wild, like seeing the deer out there. And I know, oh, yeah. I mean, pe- everybody's got their own opinion about high fence hunting. I went down to my buddy's ranch or his grandpa's ranch in Texas, and he's got like 4,500 acres. And it's really odd because he has all the exotic animals out there as well. You know, I mean, you'll see a red stag walking through and like black buck and Kim's buck and axis deer and fallow and you right. name it. That Apparently in that area, they do like an auction, an exotic animal auction, like once or twice a yeah. month. And you can just go and buy, like you could go yeah. buy an elk if you wanted and release it on your property. Yeah. In that area, I think I know exactly what you're talking about now. In the Mason, Fredericksburg, Katempsey area, uh, red stag actually roam free out there. Apparently, I think it was, I think 20 or 30 years ago, there was a, a very, very wealthy rancher out there. Uh, he got sick or something. He was going to end up losing his ranch. Well, he didn't want the people from the bank to get a hold of all these exotics and you know just kill them all off so what he did is he went out there and he cut his fence open he let everything free oh and my he gosh had, he, had, he had everything from from zebras to wildebeest out there it was, just, it was insane one of the things are roaming out there <laughs> that's wild i mean i've i've heard of other people doing that there was a there was a big news story up in 
Ohio. Well, it ended up being a nationwide news story, but it was several years ago. This guy up in Ohio right. had a big cat, big cat sanctuary, and yeah. the bank was going to take a, take it all over. And what he did is he cut the fence and he let all these animals go. And people yeah. were calling, driving down the interstate, and they'd have like a 400-pound African lion run across the interstate on them. And so then, like, conservation was out there tranquilizing and, I mean, just having to shoot these animals all over that were just roaming free now. Yeah, there's a there's an African lion, a male, uh, that's for probably the last four or five years, uh, way down in South Texas, like way down in the valley close to the border, down in the Carrizo Springs, Laredo area. And uh, somebody put it on Facebook. When I was in a war field group. That's what I've always done. And this guy took a picture of the paw print. I mean, the African lion's paw print was like this. And uh, he set up a game camera just on the side of the, the lease road there. And within days, had numerous pictures of this massive African lion. And it turns out uh, nobody knows where he came from. He just ended up with this guy's, the, the owner of the property on his lease there. And he gave, uh, I was working on that lease at the time. And he came out to that location we were on. He gave all the most information. He said, you bring your gun. So you want to kill it? Go ahead. And oh, my but, gosh. Uh, as far as I know, he's still roaming around. I don't think anyone else has ever actually seen him in person. We've only ever caught him on camera. That's wild. I can't, I mean, just imagine being out somewhere. And I, I don't know how, you know, tame or aggressive it was, you know, how long it had been raised by humans or what. But yeah. I can't imagine being out in the wild and all of a sudden, there's a lion staring you down or a tiger or really any of this imagine stuff. Imagine being in a ground blind and seeing that come across me. <laughs> hold on, hold on yeah. Here, oh, buddy. man, I would shoot, shovel, and shut up. I, I mean, you know, I'd yep. obviously – I'd get a couple pictures that I would immediately save onto my computer so that they weren't on my phone. But, uh, gosh, man. Well, that'd see, be... that's, that's the wonderful thing about Texas is anything that's not native to this area, there's no – you don't have to have – the only thing you have to have is a license. You don't have to have – any special tags you can hunt year round, you know, it's insane. I love it out here. That's so wild. Yeah, I know. I, I was asking my buddy, I was like, what would it cost for me to go down to your grandpa's ranch and, you know, shoot one of these red stag or something like that? Cause I would, I mean, one, I want to try the meat Two, I've thought <laughs> about going, is it, I figured yes. it's probably insane, but I, I wanted to go out to new Me or not new Mexico, but New Zealand. I wanted to go out there and hunt so bad. And then I found out that all of those stags are like farm raised stags, like those trophy ones that yeah. you see. They're like, if you go and yeah. shoot a wild stag out there, you know, it's nothing like what you're seeing on, on no. social media and stuff. And so I was like, well, no, those, shoot, those I'm not going to pay 70. In the pictures, the ones you see on the TV, they're always the massive ones because they're all farm raised. In, you know? Yeah. I'm like, man, I'm not going to pay $70,000 to go and hunt a red stag in New Zealand. Plus I've still got airfare and all that stuff. I could just go down to Texas and I asked him, I said, you know, how much is a license for something like that? He's like, well, you don't really yeah, need a license for it. Yeah. He's like, you don't, it's not like you go and get a deer license. You have to just get like a general hunting license or something like that. And then it's whatever my grandpa yeah. wants to charge you to hunt. Yeah. So compared to y'all's hunting license, I, I know I've seen your fishing license, but when I got a, a the fishing license there, when I was there, they just gave me a piece of paper at Academy, but this is what our hunting licenses look like here in Texas. They're oh, all, like, it's, it's like laminated and it's got all your tags and you've got to cut it off and you got a, a property log right here where you have to put your property name, the county name, and uh, what day you killed the animal. 
And then when you tear the tag off, you have to write the county and the name of the ranch as well. And then he's got the, I don't know if you can see it, but you see these little triangles right here? Oh, yeah, you have to notch to, them out. Uh, yeah, you have to notch it out from the date and whatnot. And honestly, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, Texas Game Warden's actually their own TV show. It's called Lone Star Law. Yep. And uh, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about the state of Texas in that show, but uh, they take that stuff very seriously. And if you don't notch out the date, or even if you put your tag on and you fill out the property name and, you know, and say you write it with a pen or you write it with a Sharpie and it gets smeared off, they can, you can get a citation down there for not having it clearly printed on there. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, I, I always try to be really uh, aware of what the laws are wherever I'm hunting. Even in, in Alaska, when I went up there, that was a whole different level. I mean, I had to look up, you know, like in, in Missouri, say you shoot a deer, you can't just let it sit out there and waste. You have to make an effort to get the meat. But in, in Alaska, they list it all out. It's like, you have to take the neck meat and the rib meat and the back straps and the quarters and all this stuff. I mean, you really can't leave much on the, on the animal at all, which I mean, I try to take all the meat off anyway. You know, I don't want anything sitting out there wasting, but like rib meat. The only meat, thing I don't use off of a deer is rib meat. Yeah. Yeah. Like the rib meat on a, on a black tail deer in Alaska is almost nothing. You can make a couple fajitas with it. Like that's about it. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're required by law to take it. And so, but up there, like that's they didn't insane. even give me a slip, slip of paper. I went in and they, you pay for a metal tag. So it's like an actual metal tag, wow. almost like something you'd put on the back of a, on the back of a trailer, you know, just a lock tag. It's got a certain number and it's tamper proof. And so they give you a metal tag. So I had to pay like 350 bucks for a black tail deer metal tag. And then as soon as I shot it before I transported it or moved it or whatever, I had to clip that to the head. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. The only thing we have down here and it's, it's, it's a really fine line you have to walk because you know, you like nine times out of 10, uh, our lease that I hunt on with my dad, we have uh, 52 acres that we hunt that uh, the guy that owns the property has been letting us hunt there for free for the last 15 years under one condition that we don't shoot his dove. And so you know, we leave his dove alone and we go out there and hunt. And it's about a 25 minute drive from there to my dad's house, which is where we do all our things. So we just put the tag on the deer and then, uh, you know, you have to, we take it back to, back to the house. But see, like if I say you came down here, and I gave you meat from a deer that I shot. You actually, I can keep the antlers, but I have you have to take that tag and put it with the meat, and have you have to have that when you cross when you cross, traveling across Texas. Okay, yeah, I know. Like in Colorado, we always do written stuff uh, because right. one guy when we elk hunt, he'll have like a giant cool. I mean, a huge cooler. Like you could fit four or five of the big Yeti coolers inside of this one, and. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called like a grizzly or something like that, but we'll put, we'll put all the meat inside that, but because we don't have the meat with us, like we're, we're pulling a trailer with all the side-by-sides on it or something. We have to document that we like temporarily gave it to him to transport. And so he brings a paper with everybody who has meat in his cooler. They've all signed it and written a statement saying that he's got it to transport that type of deal. I don't know if we have that kind of thing in Texas, but I'm sure, you know, if we had to do something like that, we could probably do that. I'm, I'm almost certain the game would, would be okay with it, you know, because we're traveling in pack, but, you know, you get pulled over, but I get to go 
go ahead or if I choose to stop ahead and he had questions or she had questions, they can just, you know, ask us and we have that paper to show. But I've never had to come across that because I either field dress it in the field and, you know, go ahead and clean it right there or I take it back to the house and do it. Yeah. Well, then, like, the other thing about Colorado is you have to have proof of sex on the really? animal. And so, uh, basically, when we skin out, when we skin out the animal and cut the quarters off, we'll actually have to leave like the balls from the bull attached wow. to one of the quarters. And then we put that in a game bag. And then we, on the top of the game bag, we'll actually put the tag for the animal on that. If you that's, don't that's do it crazy. that way, you have to keep it whole. You have to oh, have no, the antlers attached to the body with all the meat on it. And so I'm like, that's yep, we're going to, we can just leave the balls attached. That's much yeah, better than trying to drag an entire elk out of the backwoods. Yeah, I can't imagine, especially if you're 10, 15 miles in, you're just like, foot. that's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. You're, you're talking about a 1,500-pound animal. Yeah, I mean, we get we get back to some of these spots, and, you know, um, we did – we typically put on about 45 minutes on the four-wheeler from our base – or from our camp. We'll go about wow. 45 minutes on a four-wheeler, and then from there – we're getting off and hiking anywhere from two to six miles in. Exactly. And so it's like, yeah. not only would you have to drag the entire elk all the way back to the yeah. four wheeler, then you have to load a full elk on. on the four wheeler. <laughs> and we haven't used it yet, but uh, one of the guys brings a spool. I mean, it's a spool like this big of the a tether that's like a quarter <laughs> mile long. I mean, once you run oh, wow. it all out. And so he's like, man, I've always wanted to hook it up to the winch. Like say we shoot one down the mountain, like hook it up yeah, to the winch on the four wheeler and just drag the whole thing up. But we've never had one in a situation where we could have done that anyway. So. Yeah. Not, not only do you have to drag it on the four wheeler, then you have to hope the four wheeler suspension can handle that much. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you, you really have to have a trailer attached to the four wheeler, even the side by sides. I mean, we get those things loaded down. Like uh, my first year out there hunting, they shot two cows and a bull out of one group. And oh, wow. I'm like, you have to put all of that. I mean, we had like three, four wheelers and a side by side, but then you have everybody's guns, all the people, yeah. all of their gear, and then all the meat from three animals. And it's like, Yo. even with all the four wheelers and side by sides, we were loaded down. Oh, I can only imagine. I know a lot of people out there that I've talked to, uh, I've been doing a lot of research, but I plan on either maybe this year or next year uh, going up there and doing a bear hunt. And uh, a lot of the people I talked to are telling me that they got those, uh, it's like a game sled or whatever. It's usually, people usually use it for decoys when they go waterfront hunting and it's in you know, floats, but they get really big ones that have wheels on them. And that's what they'll use to drag behind the floor with oh, okay. that like, safe space. Yeah. Yeah, man. Bear hunting out in Colorado, especially right now, it's so cheap. I think it's only a hundred dollar tag now for non-residents yeah. out there. Yeah, when I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, it was, I think it was like 150 bucks for a non-resident tag. And I was like, you know, I can go spend $1,000 with fuel, food, and gear, and ammo, and a tag for, and go by myself versus spending, you know, $10,000 to go on a hunt with somebody. Oh, yeah. The the big thing about that, again, just check the regulations and stuff. But I, I believe with yeah. Bear, you have to check them in at a station afterwards. Yeah, um, and they I do like. Yeah, they do like age surveys and stuff on them, and you have to you, you'll have to see what all the meat, what all meat and hide you have to bring back. But I mean, they're very specific, especially when it comes to bear, moose, mountain goat, and bighorn. 
like everything is very specific on those animals and elk and stuff. I mean, you can shoot it and you can, you can register it or whatever, but it's not like you have to take it to an actual check station. Right. So I've never actually seen a moose. Are they as big as everybody tells me they are? Moose? Yeah. I've I've never gotten to see one. Imagine a Clydesdale with antlers. Oh, Oh, hell. I, I mean, I'm for real. We, we were out there on a scouting trip in, july it was actually july 15th i remember i spent my birthday out there scouting for moose (laughs) we got within 30 yards of three moose Uh and they were i mean they were just it was it looked like a cow and then a smaller cow and a yearling and they were huge and then like when my buddy shot his oh my gosh man the the quarters from that were well over 125 pounds each I mean, you're just that's talking. The thing I never understood. You watch the hunting shows and they're shooting them with bows. I'm like, that's a that's a really big animal to be killing with a compound bow, man. That's my goal. I want to do it so bad. I put in for it this year, but it didn't work out. I didn't. I mean, oh, I don't man. know that I'll ever draw a moose tag for Colorado, but my goal is to hunt a Yukon moose up in Alaska with a that would bow. Be awesome. But I mean, a my, lot of guys still. This year is turkey hunting. I've never been, and I want to get a turkey. That's that's on my bucket list this year. Oh man! If you make it up to Missouri, I've got a spot where I mean, you'll have to put in some hours, but it could happen. Oh, that's, opening morning, oh, fifteen I, minutes in. I'm more than more than willing to, and that's why I'm actually hoping to get to talk with you about is trying to plan a trip where I can come up there and get some time off and go do a turkey hunt. So that's that is on my bucket list this year. We have, we have so many just today when I went out fishing. So I brought a bunch of corn out and trail cameras and I, uh, I'll put corn out. I think you have to pull it within like 15 days of the start of season, or it might be 30 now. I don't remember. Um, but because there's no, oh, I know (laughs) you don't ever have to pull it. You can just, you can have the automatic feeders. Um, yeah, yeah, we, so I brought corn out and put a couple of cameras up because I know all the fawns are dropping right now. I actually saw two fawns run across my driveway on the way out uh the doe ran across first and then the two fawns and then on my way home i saw the doe run back across the driveway but i didn't stop to see if the fawns were out there anyways i put all this stuff out there and i get out there to the pond i open the gate and as soon as i open the gate to go on the property i look over and there's like four turkeys up on the hill and then i'm sitting there fishing catch my first fish it tore apart my worm. And so I put a new worm on. And as I'm doing that, I'm just kind of scanning the fields for coyotes. Cause I always bring a rifle with to, to shoot coyotes if I see them. And I look up and there's like a dozen turkeys in the field. And <laughs> I mean, it, the spot that we've got for turkey hunting is like nothing I've ever seen. What's those coyote population like up there? The worst I've seen it. I mean, aside from like when I was down, when I was in Phoenix, there were so many coyotes in Phoenix. It was, I mean, like in the yeah. middle of subdivisions. But where I'm at, depending on the time of year, I'll have trail cameras out. And if I get a hundred pictures on trail camera, I would say 80 to 90 of them will be coyotes. Jeez. Yeah, we, we have a, we have an abundance of them down here. I caught a picture that I took, I don't know, back in March. I was in West Texas and I was getting, I was leaving a location. I was going down this like 20 mile long rough east road. And you know, I'm in a semi with a water trailer loaded down. And this coyote pup couldn't have been more than six or seven months old. She was walking across the road, and she's real skinny. It looked like she was hungry, and I had some, some leftover food from lunch. And so I stopped, and I got out, and I, 
I threw it down on the ground and she came up and I sat there and I watched her eat and I had my door open and I was trying to take a picture of her and she actually walked up to the door and put her front paws up on the steps and like almost let me pet her. What the heck? That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think because there's a lot of people here in Texas that uh, go about it. If you go about it the right way, uh, there's a lot of guys down here that have, uh, you know, they're half, they're half bright coyotes. It makes like a German shepherd or a, a German short haired pointer. And a lot of people have them as pets around here. And one of my one of my best friends, he lives over in uh, in uh, Floresville, you know, thirty minutes outside San Antonio, and he has two baby raccoons and a red fox. It's about seven or eight months old that he's got his pets. That he, he he's a licensed rehabilitator because in Texas, if you find a baby here, you can't just pick it up and keep it as a pet. You have to be a licensed rehabilitator for it. Okay. And if you are, you have to prove it. And so he's a licensed rehabilitator just so he can have them as pets. And he's, I mean, he's got, like I said, he's got that red fox. He's got two baby uh, raccoons, and it's insane what he's got going on over there. Oh yeah, I've always, I've always thought it would be cool to have a pet deer. I mean, I've, I thought it was I've seen them before. Um, my dad had one growing up. They found a fawn that's mom had been hit by a car. And then oh. when I was, when I was probably in middle school, maybe early in high school, uh, the property that I hunt up in Wisconsin. We were, we were visiting with the gentleman that owns it. And he's like, Hey, have you guys seen the neighbor's pet deer yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he goes, man, you got, you got to come check it out. And we go over there and sure enough, he's got this deer that he found as a fawn, same type of deal. The mom had been hit by a car and he just heard it bleeding all night long. I mean, just going nuts. And so he's like, I went out there, found it, scooped it up, started bottle feeding it. And he would go out every morning and just start yelling, Bambi. Bambi. And I'm, I'm expecting this deer to just kind of poke its head out and look around. It came book. I mean, as fast as I've ever seen a deer run came flying out of the woods, ran right up to the bottle. It stopped and looked at me and my brother for a second, like, wait a minute, something's weird. And then it just went to drinking. And he's like, man, you can go out and play with this thing. He's like, run around. It'll play tag with you. It'll try to tackle you. And we did for a while. And he had it until I can't remember if it was a six or an eight point buck. Someone ended up shooting it. Oh, it sucks. Yeah. But I mean, in I Wisconsin, know. what do you expect? It's like, unless you can seriously market somehow, but like, what do you do? Spray paint the side of it saying like, don't shoot. <laughs> Branded or something, I guess. Yeah. I know that's what a lot of like down here in Texas. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have high fence ranches out here, obviously that, uh, you know, they've raised deer and they're like genetically modified deer. As a matter of fact, the ranch that my uncle used to own, whenever him and his business partner bought that place, the guy that owned it beforehand, well, he, he raised deer. And so whenever they bought it, they got all the deer. And they had one, his name was Frankenstein. And I think he was eight years old, nine years old at the time. And at whenever they got the place, we went out there to go check it out. Uh, he, at that point, he had 62 points on him. I mean, Holy cow. Nasty. Yeah, nasty. You know, once you get fast a certain amount of points, they just they don't look natural anymore. He was huge, but it was crazy because you know they kept all the, the farm raised deer, the genetically modified ones in the pan. And you could just put corn in your hand and walk up to him. He'd you could pet him, rub on him, he'd love on you. It was crazy. That's wild. See, like I'm I'm all about like if you if you're in Texas and you can hunt high fence, like go for it. But it's yeah. it's when the deer is basically a pet, you know. If yeah, you can I, go I and hand feed it, I'm like, at that point, you're just, it, I wouldn't even call it hunting at that point. I just yeah. say like, you're, you're just slaughtering cattle or, you know, some type of 
Yeah, exactly. We, the, the neighbor's property to my buddy's grandpa's place in Texas, he, I think he only has like 400 acres, which I say only that's small for, that's, for a high fence, Texas range, but he, uh, he's got 400 acres and the deer on his property. I mean, like we'll be driving the side by side along the fence right. and I'll look over and like you're saying, there'll be a deer with like 30 plus points on it. Yep. I saw a six point buck. I kid you not. There was a six point buck and it had to have been 160 inch six points. I mean, just huge. It had like, it probably had like 18 to 20 inch, uh, G ones and twos. Um, the main beam, the spread on it, the inside spread had to be over 30 inches, but they just, I mean, it's, it's protein and corn and then they release them after, you know, three or four years. And then you see them in the same spot every day. But I mean, we, yeah. we'd be just on the other side of a high chain link fence from them and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even flinch. They didn't care that we were there at all. Do y'all have like the 13 inch rule and stuff up here? Cause like I know here in Texas, there's uh, a lot of the counties in Texas uh, for a white tailed deer for a buck, you have to uh, like the county I hunted, the inside spread for the antlers has to be 13 inches or greater. Okay. I, I, do y'all have that up there? No, we don't. Um, I don't know if there's any counties that actually have antler restrictions in Missouri. I know our county doesn't. There's been talk about them introducing antler restrictions. Um, but I know, it's like in Colorado, they've got antler restrictions in the unit that I hunt. It's like six, six inches right. on brow tines or three or more points on one side. Um, and so I think it really yeah, depends. The same way. The only. Yeah, the only way that we can uh, that we can kill anything that's 13 inches or less than 13 inches it has to be a spike. That's the only other. It's the only option we can kill. Okay. Is there a? Uh, I mean, is there a good gauge just when like looking at a deer through binoculars or seeing one in person? Is it like to midway through the ears? So yeah. So it's the way we always done it is they have their ears out you know, like your deer behind you on the wall does, if that, if the inside spread, the greatest part of it is outside the ears, you're legal. Nice. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast, and so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through, and you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And that's actually, that's actually what they taught us in hunter safety education when I was in high school. I took that class. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I've, I get so like weirded out by trying to gauge animals on the hoof. 
especially like in person. If I see a picture of a deer and I can just sit there and study it, I could tell you fairly close how many inches it is. But when you're talking like bighorn rams and they're like, it's got to be a full curl. It's got to have this many bands on it. Even when I went out mountain goat hunting, it's like trying to determine uh, a U or not a U. Um, Gosh, I can't even think of the, the different terms for sheep now or for goats. Anyways, I, we were trying to, we were trying to figure out if it was a male or female for a while. And it was a hard, we had a really hard time determining that. I lost you. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? There you go. Got you now. I don't know what happened. I got muted somehow. (laughs) Oh, nice. I said, it's like trying to find a hay in a needle stack, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we don't have too many crazy restrictions that I know of, at least in the places I've hunted. I know up in San Angelo, I don't know what county it is. It's northwest Texas, almost almost central Texas. Uh, it's, it's, that's, that's where you really get the mixture of the desert with the hill country. But up there, uh, there's a public hunting land that my stepdad and I used to hunt. And up there, the only way you can kill deer is either with a shotgun or, or a compound boat. That's the only way you, can, you can't use a rifle out there. Yeah, I know Illinois a good chunk if not all the state of illinois is like that it's a it's a shotgun only i mean i grew that that wouldn't have been an issue for me growing up i always hunted with shotguns growing up shotguns with the slug in it i grew up with i grew up with a rifle you see in texas you can't use slugs that i know of it used to to be that way i don't know if you can i mean if you can now but interesting we we have before (laughs) it's not the right thing to do but you know if, if you're talking, you know, those deer in San Angelo, they, they get huge out there, but you can't get them. You can't get them close enough to hit them with a buck shot. You know, yeah. you're, you're talking the yard. So with a slug, you can reach out there and touch them. And with the slug, it, you know, it's, it's, it's almost undetermining when, and it's kind of sad the way we had to do it. At least I remember doing it. And when I was very young as we, uh, we had to gut shot them basically that way, you know, so they, if, if you did happen to, kill it which, you know nine times out of ten if you hit it with a slug and a gut it's, it's gonna die and uh which that's that's actually one of my favorite parts of the hunt is tracking i love tracking oh and, yeah uh, and but you know it's it, at that at that range with a slug it's not gonna destroy everything like it would if you know 20 yards yeah yeah i noticed i mean i noticed when i was down there the body size of deer because i mean i was at one extreme being like growing up up north like people, yeah. you could shoot a almost 300 inch whitetail deer and it wasn't like, oh my gosh, that's the biggest deer ever. Like there's people who shoot giant deer every year up there body wise. And then going down to Texas and seeing the deer there, I was like, oh, yeah. holy, I mean, the, the antlers all the look huge too. Yeah. yeah. Like the antlers look giant. Like it, it might look like a 180 inch deer, but it's because the body is so much smaller than what I was used to seeing it's like that one that i shot this year you know i caught him on the game camera and it's the only time i saw him i had one picture of him and on that picture he's just huge beautiful buck and i said okay that's the one i want because he's coming to my stand and i hunted every saturday and sunday saturday morning saturday evening and sunday morning we don't hunt sunday evenings and uh, we hunted every single weekend and i saw him one morning i saw him and i the way my stand set up is where I hunt at, it's all sand. It is, it's just terrible sand. 
And so my stand sits here and about 40 yards in front of me is my feeder. But just on the other side of the feeder, it's, it's not really a drop off, but the ground slopes down enough to where if a deer is standing on the other side of the hill, you can't see them. Yeah. And so I had this I had this mangy six point that would not get away from me. He was staying with me every morning, every evening. And I couldn't shoot him because he wasn't 13 inches. He was pissing me off because he would come in and he'd run all the other deer off because he was, he was an older buck and he would yeah. just eat all the corn. And so one morning, I think I, it was the, actually it was the day before the last day of uh, deer season. And I was sitting there that morning and I saw that buck and I said, man, or I was sitting there, you know, I'm half deaf, so I can't hear shit anyways. And so I'm sitting there in that stand. It's, you know, it's just barely getting daylight and it's perfect shooting hour. And I have the, the damn six points there again. And there's a doe off to his right. And I'm like, I'm already, I don't want to kill a doe. And if I have to, I will, you know, just to hit the meat. And then I can hear this crunch. And neither one of those deer are moving. I'm looking both sides of my stand in front of me. What the hell is that, you know? And so finally I spun my chair around and I popped up in my back window. Well, back behind me, there's an open field and it's got like a divot in it and it goes back up. There's a pond over here. And then on the other side of that pond, it's some trees. It's my dad's stand. And it's about 400 yards across total. Well, down in that little divot, there's two big giant oak trees, man. They got to be 200 plus years old, easy. And they're real low hanging and they got the moss that hangs off of them. Well, that's where all the deer bed at because it's perfect cover. Yeah. Well, I hear something I'm like I'm looking, I'm looking. And finally, there comes that buck. I'm like, well, I can't shoot him that way because my dad stands over there. My dad's in there. Otherwise, I would. Yeah. And so I'm waiting. Well, he makes his way over to the old road that we used to use to get in there. Now we have a new road. And <coughs> he hits the road and he starts heading towards the feeder. I'm like, perfect. He's going to make it to the feeder. I'm going to get him. I've just got to wait. <coughs> Sorry. So I close my back window real easy. Spin my chair around. And I make sure I got around loaded. And I wait. And I can hear him walking and watching and hearing him. And then he goes on the other side of this tree, and I never saw him again. And I was so angry. I was like, are you kidding me? So we got out of the stand that morning. Neither one of us got anything. I had to, I had to work that after that day. I had to go. The boss was coming in, so I had to clean all the trucks up. And so I had to haul out the town, go clean all the trucks up. And I made it back to the house just in time because my wife and my daughter and I were living with my dad at the time. And I made it back to the house just in time when I mean, we like to be in the stand no later than 345, 4 o'clock at the latest in the evening hunt. Yeah. And I made it back just in time. I crawled in the stand at 445, 515. That buck was dead on the ground. It was loading up in the truck and going home. Oh, that's awesome. It was, uh, man, I, I, I'm pretty sure because that was, that was the first year I killed since 2016. And I can, I'm pretty sure my dad, 400 yards across the pass, he heard me hooping and hollering. And screaming. Oh, I bet. Man, there's something about like seeing a deer before you actually are able to yeah. shoot it. You know, like if you can have yeah. some history with it, even the, even this yep. elk that I shot, my first elk that I shot, it wasn't like I had seen it days before, even the day before, but we saw it from like 700 yards away. And it was wow. like the most picturesque thing. There was a whole, a whole herd of cows out there. And this thing was standing right. on like a bluff just like looking out over this valley and we were like, all right, yeah, we're going to go after it. And so we went out after it and the whole hunt was kind of crazy. You know, like they got, 
we right. spooked a different herd was spooked that herd anyways they ended up coming back up the mountain towards us and I, and i ended up shooting that same bull but i'm like there's something about like seeing it and like getting excited about it and then you know maybe the opportunity slips through your fingers and you get another chance later yeah. i would much rather that than just like a totally random like never seen this deer before didn't know this thing was live and all of a sudden i get that's, five seconds to enjoy looking at it yeah that's why I enjoy game camera so much because mm-hmm. I get the I get the joy of getting to to look at all the deer that come to the feeder and I get to be like, okay, I wanna I want this one if I can get a chance, but if not, I'm gonna take that one. You know, you got because yep. we have some really I hunt in Cuero, which is Dewitt County in Texas. And I mean, for being a tiny little town, I mean there's I think there's maybe twenty six hundred people live in this town. And in fact, like five miles down the road from the lease is a prison, a state prison there. And, uh, but you know, for a very heavy, heavily trafficked road, because the way it is, we hunt both. Uh, you got the road that splits the property, and we got, I think it's 20 acres on the left side, which is where my dad and I hunt. And then we got 32 acres on the right side, which is where my former stepmom heard her two brothers have stands over there. And so my dad and I have been hunting the left side for the last, I don't know, six years, seven years now. And, uh, you know, we, we got some really big deer that come out of there. I, I know. Not this past year, but the season before last, my grandfather, my dad, dad, my dad took him out there, and uh, he killed a really nice bug. He was a ten, he was an eight or ten point, and then he scored like one sixty two, just nice. coming off of a wild being corn fed. Oh man, yeah. I've never killed a hundred and sixty two inch deer. That's awesome. Well, see, that's another thing is you know my my uncle, the one that owned that high fence ranch, he owns a printing company in Houston. Actually, the Astro. You there? Sorry. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't got kicked off again. Uh, anyways, the, the Houston Astros, you know, they have this they have these huge banners on the side of their stadium. They get the pictures of the baseball players and their stats and their ranking. Well, my uncle owns a company that makes those banners. Oh, cool. And so you know, he's he's rolling in the cash. Well, every year, uh, every year he goes to Africa and he goes and he hunts whatever it is that he hunts over there. But also every year, he hasn't done it the last two years. My grandfather's been uh, dealing with a rare form of leukemia for the last couple of years. Oh, man. And uh, so, but they go down to Argentina. There's a place called Argentina Wild Wings. And they go dove hunting down there. And there's like no limit, no yep. season because they're insane. I mean, I've got pictures of my grandfather where they're standing on the ground and there's piles of dove that are five, six foot tall. My yeah. doves have shot, you know. Man, that is a dream hunt for me. I want to go to Argentina and do a combination waterfowl and dove hunt. Yes. I watched That's I watched the, the world record. The world. Oh yeah. I watched the world record for most doves taken in one day. And I don't oh, remember God. what it was. It was around ten thousand in oh, yeah. one day it's by insane. one person. And he had a team of like four people that were just reloading shotguns for him. And they were just like, he would get a new shotgun, boom, boom, new shotgun, boom, boom, all day long. I'm like, I I don't want to kill 10,000 doves, but I'd love to go down there and just have, oh, I can't imagine. Oh, it had to have been, because he wasn't even shooting (laughs) semi-autos. He was shooting over-unders. And, See, I think at that point I'd probably use a 20 gauge, maybe even a 410, just to oh, yeah. chicken and ease it up on my shoulder. Oh, yeah. I'd use a semi-auto 410. You wouldn't feel the recoil. I mean, after 10,000, yep. w- with the way that I shoot, it would be more like 30,000 shots in order to get 10,000 <laughs> yeah. doves. But, I mean, yeah, he was just leveling way. them one after the next. That's but insane. the waterfowl I, down there, oh, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. 
I, uh, I, I'm kind of like you, man. There's some days we go duck hunting or we'll go dove hunting. Like every single shot, I'm taking something. And there's some days I couldn't hit the broad side of the barn if I was standing right in front of it. Oh, yeah. I was just talking to my buddy Chris um, the other day because when we go out dove hunting, I'll bring so many rounds out because it's like you're just shooting at everything. And sometimes right. it's like a sky blast. Sometimes they're right in your face, but like the direction they're flying, um, the height they're flying, everything's changing every ra- or every yep. time you shoot. Well, he yep. was like, dude, I'm bringing one box of ammo out. And I okay. think the limit here, I can't remember if it's 15 or 16 doves, but he's Jeez. like, he's like, oh, dang. See, when I was out in Colorado, you could hunt Eurasian doves out there because they're Ooh. invasive uh yeah. non-natives and so there's no limit and no season and so exactly. i could hunt doves all year long out there um but anyways so here it's like 15 <laughs> or 16 and he's like i'm bringing one 25 count box of ammo yeah. and he did and he shot 18 or he shot i think he said he shot 18 rounds and had his limit wow. and then he's like the next time i went out I did the same thing. I brought one box and he's like, I finished off the box and had like six birds on the ground. <laughs> and he's yeah, like, it's uh, just, he's like, I just couldn't do it. And then he ran out of ammo and my buddy Tony was with him and he had already limited it out. And so he switched shotguns <laughs> with him because Tony had 20 gauge ammo. And so then he's like, and then I shot and he's like, even finishing off, off all of Tony's rounds, I still didn't get my full limit of, of doves. <laughs> Oh, it, it, it's like that sometimes, man. It really is. Oh, yeah. There's, I've had times where I've had geese in my face. I mean, like locked up back flapping oh, yeah. at five feet off my barrel. And I pull the trigger yep. and they fly away and I don't have any idea how it <laughs> like, works. What the hell just happened? Yeah. And then there's other times like I had, I had a shot yeah. on a dove one time. It flew in. I shot it. It dropped, hit the ground and took off again. And it was flying away from oh, me. God. And I paced it off, but I knew I had hit it because there were feathers and it hit the ground. And then all of a sudden it flew off again. And I was like, all right, I got to put this thing down. And I think my second shot had to have been, I think I paced it off at 67 uh, paces from where I shot to where I picked the dove up. And I'm like, I don't even know how that's possible. How do I miss at five feet and hit it at almost 70 yards? Yeah, I know uh, a couple years ago, uh, before uh, we lost my duck dog, Diesel, we actually had to stop using him during dove hunting because he would go out and retrieve him. We would, we would have customers. I mean, like lots of customers for our, our guide service. And I, this part particular day, I think we had 20 guys hunting with us. And we had, I ended up having to take him back to the truck and putting him in the kennel because he, he'd go out and retrieve him and he'd bring him back. And then while we were hunting, we'd look over and he'd be eating him. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. a damn good duck dog, though, man. Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> you can't have them eating doves. Yeah, I, did, yeah, man, I had a dog. Insane. I had a dog that did that once. Um, I caught him doing it one time, and that's the only time I've ever known about him doing it. But yeah. uh, he was a good dog. Uh, yeah, Diesel was insane, man. At that time, he he was probably six years old at the time, and at six years old, five to six years old, man, in his prime, he was an American black chocolate lab. And so he had the big square head in his body. Oh, yeah. He weighed 152 pounds. Holy he cow. Huge. He was huge. I mean, his paw prints were bigger around. I mean, this is big around for a, a chocolate lab, you know? That's insane. And, uh, 
I remember when we got him, he was a Valentine's Day present for me because my birthday is January 14th, and his, we had actually the same birthday. And I got him, my mom and stepdad paid for him on Valentine's Day, and I got him in March uh, the following month because, you know, he was still real young. Yeah. And I had him at the house for about two weeks. And at the time, I was living with my dad, and I was going to my mom and stepdad every other weekend. And so that was my Christmas present from them. But then my birthday present from them was I actually paid for him to go to school. And so he, we, we took him to that school. He was two months old, three months old. And I didn't see him for a whole year. And, yeah. then, you know, so he went, he went from being, you know, this big to when I, when I got him back at, at a year and a half old, he was almost, you know, his, his, the top of his head was standing at the bottom of my chest. Holy cow. I remember the first time we took him duck hunting. It was a great hunt. We were hunting choke gang. And, and we were like three or four birds shy of a two-man limit. And I shot one. Well, the duck didn't die. It happens. You know, they don't always die as soon as you shoot them. Well, he goes, he's just swimming out there to go get him. And he grabs that duck by the body. And that duck turned around and pecked him in the eye. And oh, no. he dropped him. And I couldn't, we couldn't get him to get in the boat for like six or seven weeks. He would not go hunting. I've, I've heard of that same thing happening. I, I read a, uh, an article in Outdoor Magazine years ago. And this guy had spent all this money. I mean, between the price of the dog and then the training for the dog, he had like $13,000 into this dog. And I mean, it was doing field trials and all this different stuff. Well, he took it out on one of the first goose hunts and same thing. He, he winged a goose, the dog ran out, picked the goose up, the goose turned and pecked it in the eye. And he said that he never (laughs) hunted the dog again. The dog just wouldn't, wouldn't hop in the boat if he had, or wouldn't hop in the truck. If he had camo on, the dog wanted nothing to do with it. And I'm like, geez, can he, you imagine? He knew what was happening. But I see a lot of guys now, money, yeah. they buy those goggles for their dogs. That's becoming a yeah, much more common that. thing. They're putting those on. Um, hey, so being in Texas, you guys can hunt sandhill cranes down there, right? Yes. So I actually found this out the hard way a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2016. I was sitting in my deer stand. It was a Saturday afternoon, beautiful day. And I hadn't seen a deer all day long. And I had a couple of sandhill cranes land at my feeder and they were eating at the corn. And I didn't, I mean, I knew I looked it up real quick, saw it was sandhill cranes. And said, okay, boom, squeezed off around, dropped the biggest one. Throw them in the back of the truck. About 30 minutes later, my dad tells himself a deer. So we load his deer up. We're heading back to the house and the game warden pulls us over because they see feathers flying out of the back of the truck. Yeah. And, uh, luckily that game warden was very nice and he did not give me a citation he just gave me a verbal warning or a written warning but i found out the hard way you can't kill him with deer rifle. oh i was i was gonna say i was thinking like as you were telling the story that it had to do with being over bait because i know you can't you can't hunt migratory birds over any type of bait unless it's a crop field so yes and no I don't know if I, if you can't, I, I actually, I've only ever hunted Sandhill Crane one other time and it was over the water. So I really, I can't, I can't tell you that. Uh, actually, I don't know if I, I'd say I'm on my phone. I'd close real quick and go to my outdoor annual app because there's an app. Uh, it's the Texas Outdoor Annual. It's the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department app. They run and it's got, you click whatever county you're in and it'll tell you all the rules and regulations. And it's, it's basically like the, the little hunters at the hunter book you get whenever you buy a hunting license. Uh, yeah. I, I really, I don't know if you can hunt them over bait or not. I, I've, I've only ever seen, I see them out in the fields all the time going again, cornfields and eating all the corn, but 
Yeah. I've only ever hunted him one other time. Yeah, I think I think with I mean, I don't know if it's the same with sandhills, but with migratory birds, you can hunt them over planted crops, but yeah. you can't hunt them over I don't know how the phrasing is, but basically you can't hand distribute feed. It right. has to be naturally fallen um crops yeah. or grain in order to hunt over and so like you, <laughs> like you can hunt them over rice fields and corn fields and bean fields and all that right, stuff yeah as long as you didn't go out and just spread corn for the purpose yeah. of feeding ducks exactly see i know i think it was a couple of years ago they finally uh i think they changed i want to say they changed it i could be wrong but uh well we could spread milo out the dub now oh nice man yeah, I mean, that's where, like, down in South Texas, where we dove on that, generally nine times out of ten, we'll start it early in the year and we'll plant Milo out there on purpose. And, yeah. just, you know, go out there and spread seed. If it grows, it grows. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, we got a pond that we hunt off of where, the you know, we always have Milo and sunflower from the backside of it. And we'll sit under a tree and just wait for them to come over the pond. Nice. Yeah, the, uh, the place that we dove hunt, um, it's conservation land. And there's hundreds of people that go out there opening morning, but oh, yeah. they, they have sunflower fields, no plant yeah, acres and acres of sunflower. And then they just burn it and the doves yep. come in and tear it up. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about burning the sunflower fields, but good Lord, they love it. Yeah. I actually Dude, had the opportunity two years ago to hunt and I got abandoned doves. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. So you're, you're one of the only two people that I know aside from myself who has a banded dove I shot really yeah I've got they're, they're, sorry sorry it's got an 18 just drive by me he's pulling in his parking and his brakes locked up on the trailer oh dang we uh uh we had this guy come out hunting with us it from work and it was his first time ever dove hunting and he had this short barreled like turkey shotgun with him and that's what he was hunting with and uh he ended up shooting a dove and it was banded. And that was the first time I'd ever heard oh, wow. or seen of a banded dove. Yeah. They're, and they're so hard to come across. Oh yeah. And then I think it was the following year I was sitting with my dog out on the property that I was just at today. And there was a big dead tree and I knew the doves loved to land in there. And so I'm sitting, I'm sitting underneath the tree next to it, just waiting for doves to come in. Didn't have any decoys out or anything. And all of a sudden these two came in, landed on the branches right in front of me. And so I slowly lifted my gun up because they came from the opposite side of the tree. And so I didn't have a a chance to shoot at them um, until they were landed. And so I just picked out the one on the right and pulled the trigger. It dropped. And then I went to shoot the one on the left, but it flew out the same way it came in on the other side of the tree. So I didn't pull the trigger and my dog runs and gets it. And I wring its neck and I look down and it's got a band and I lost my mind. I mean, that's the first, that was the first banded bird I'd ever killed. And then two yeah, years it, later, I was in Colorado. It's really hard to explain it to people. It's oh, really yeah. hard to explain that to people because they're like, what's the special? I'm like, you get to see where this bird has been. And yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, then the next year or two years later, I think it was, I shot another banded dove out in Colorado. <laughs> the only problem with my doves that I shot were both of them were banded within 30 days of me shooting them. Oh, and within five miles of where I shot them. <laughs> of course. Uh, the one when I looked mine up, uh, and it was banded. I want to say it was banded in uh, Georgia, and it had actually uh, been all, it made its way all the way up to Canada, and then down in New Mexico, and then back into Texas. 
Jeez, that's crazy. Was, I think it was I think it was four or five years old. I'm like, wow, I kind of feel bad for killing you now. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I hope to one day shoot something that's banded or even collared. Like out in Colorado, if you come yeah. across an elk or a mule deer or a bear that's collared, they still are fine with you shooting it. You just have to report that it had a collar and yeah. you have to return the collar. But I've got a buddy yeah. who shot a two hundred I think it was a 211 inch mule deer that had a collar on it and he, um, he got it mounted, but he had to return the collar. So he went on eBay and bought a replica collar and put it on the mount. That works. Yeah. My stepdad, he grew up in Northeast Texas, up around Texarkana, London area. And, you know, he grew up, he's the one that sparked my passion for duck hunting. I had never even thought about duck hunting before I met him. And, uh, My first duck hunt he ever took me on. I didn't have any waders. All I had was some knee-high waterproof boots, some faux camo pants, and a camo t-shirt. And so, you know, I was all black painted up on my arms and my face. And I was out there. We were hunting Corpus Christi Bay or Ramsey Bay, one or the other. And uh, I shot my first duck. And I ran out there to go get it because at the time we didn't have a duck dog. And I mean, as soon as I stepped, I was three foot in the water. I went straight up to my chest. Oh and man! And I had to swim over there. I had to swim over there to get this duck. <laughs> and I got it, and I, I don't know what it was about that hunt, but I was I was insanely hooked. But you know him, he grew up in Northeast Texas, and they they get mallards. And down in South Texas, it's very few and far between you see mallards or wood ducks. But he has his he has two lanyards for his duck calls, and both of them uh, are completely full up of bands, like oh all the way gosh. around he, for how many banded ducks he shot growing up up there. So to him. It's, it's nothing, you know. He shoots a band of ducks. He's like, oh, cool, another one I can put on my lander. But for me, I've never killed one. And I'm like, it's, that's the life goal right there. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to have that. I've got a buddy. I used to live in his basement, actually, or in his parents' basement. <laughs> when he was, when I was in college, they offered me a cheap place to live or actually a free place to live. And so okay, there you go. I, uh, I was living with him, and we, we both were into duck hunting. And he had a lanyard. And it came with like a, just like, say it was a banded lanyard. It just had a band yeah. said banded on it, you know, from the factory. Yeah. Well, he's like, man, I wonder if I can just buy bands. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you, you can. can. He hopped on Amazon or not Amazon on eBay. And he bought like a whole bag. I mean, a full bag of bands. And then he clipped them all on his lanyard. And <laughs> I remember he was trying to convince one of his friends that he had shot all of all those birds. <laughs> And I called his, I called him out on it like right away as I heard him talking and he's like, dude, come on, man. I was trying to mess with him. I'm like, dude, you cannot go on eBay and buy a bunch of bands and then try to pass it off as you're like the world's greatest waterfowl hunter. I I have one of those. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I bought it on Amazon a couple of years ago, actually. It's a a little mini goose ball necklace. It's got the the cinched up rope on it. Yep. Uh, it's a, I, didn't, I, I bought it on Amazon. I didn't realize it, but then I got it and it has two faux plastic bands in there, but it's made by Duck Commander and it's an actual functioning goose call, which is really cool. That's awesome. That's really but sweet. I'm, I'm waiting on it. I've, I've been trying to, I'm not hurting for the cash. I've just been trying to scrape, just, you know, slowly, slowly save the cash up. But there's a guy. Montana, Minnesota, somewhere up in the north, northeastern region of the U.S. that uh, he makes homemade, he makes handmade duck calls. But with my duck dog, when we had to put him down back in 2019, uh, we hadn't cremated. And so he actually makes homemade, handmade duck calls 
that he incorporates and puts the ashes of your whatever, you know, your your dad, your brother, your dog, whatever, and he'll actually put the ashes inside the duck call. Dang. It's it, it's like twenty eight hundred dollars. So, you know, it's not it's not, it's not something I just want to go, okay, here's my credit card. You know, I want to oh, yeah. I'm I'm slowly but surely saving up because I thought, you know, if I could do that, that would be really, really, really cool to do that. Dude, that is sweet. I've I've never spent a lot of money on duck calls at all. Um, I love duck commander calls. They're the best. Honestly. Oh yeah. Well, I I had a guy on the podcast just the other day. I don't think his episode has aired yet, but his name is Sean Trump, and he's yeah, out of Pennsylvania. And he uh, he makes his own or he makes custom duck calls. And so I was talking to him. He's got a triple read call that he makes. He said it's his number one seller. Um, you'll have to look him up. He's, uh, his company's North T outfitters or Northern timber outfitters. Um, Oh yeah. Well, I was talking to him and I was like, man, my mom, my mom makes antler rings. So she'll make like a, a band out of like a deer antler. And I was like, you know, if I got a hold of an elk antler, could you put that like as part of the duck call? And he yeah, messaged me the day after we were on the podcast and he's like, Hey man, I got my hands on a, on an elk antler and oh, I'm going to, cool. I'm going to make you a triple read with an elk antler band and send it Heck to you. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is sweet. Cause I've never had like a custom duck call before. It's all been like, you know, right. I just buy it at the yeah, store. I have one custom duck call that I've never touched and I never, probably never will touch. Um, but it, 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 it was, it's my stepdad, but he gave it to me, but it was, uh, he got it custom made and I think I was probably 15 or 16 and he got it custom made for me for Christmas one year. I mean, yeah. it's real pretty blue wood grain, hand carved. It's, it's, it sounds amazing, but I just, I'm so scared because I, I have the original, uh, style duck commander duck call, the old school wooden one. Yeah. I mean, it's not the original one, but it's the same duck call. Hey man, you, you know how rotted that thing is because of all the water and salt oh, yeah. water it's seen. Yep. I, I I can't go duck hunting. Every time I go duck hunting, even if I'm gonna go right back out that afternoon, I, I have to break my shotgun down and clean it because my poor shotgun, that thing's probably been dropped in the water, stepped on, and it's got all kind of abuse to it. Man, I love I love a good shotgun that you can just beat the tar out of though. Like Benelli Supernova. Yeah. See, I had I had I've had shotguns all my life in like here, especially you'll get super muddy water, but then you also get like ice in some of the spots that we hunt, the ice isn't thick enough to walk across. So you've got to bust it out. And so we'll be like waist deep and just beating the butt of our shotgun, like yeah, taking chunks out, pushing ice underneath. And then you got to clear a hole for the birds to land in. And so, yeah, all of my shotguns, I tell my, I tell my friends and my wife all the time, like I will never have a bow rifle or shotgun that I'm afraid to scratch. Yeah. That hasn't been abused. Trust me. That's that's actually the number one thing that's keeping me from spending the money on a Benelli supernova. Cause I mean, there's a place in college station, which is Texas A&M. It's called champion firearms. And if you go on their website and look at the Benelli supernova, it actually says our everyday low price is lower than the allowed advertised price. Please call for a quote. And I'm talking, you can walk in there and buy that shotgun 350 bucks out the door for a Benelli. Yeah. That's and awesome. It's not a whole lot of money, but I just, for, for the name, you know, I'm like, I don't really feel like spending the money on that name and just abusing it. Yeah. 
See, we had like guys. Like shotgun, I have the, uh, the 870 Super Mag, just chambered for three and a half, because I, I like to use three and a half when I, go, when I goose hunt. And yeah. I mean, that's just a wood grain stock. I spray paint it black, and I have a little trick that I do to make a gun look camo is I spray paint it black, and then I get the, like, uh, we satch sleeves for, uh, a lot of times I use the blade grass, as you find mm-hmm. out by the lake and whatnot. And I lay it on there and I just spray over it with like camo, the camo spray paint yep. and then let it dry. And by the time I'm done, it looks, you know, like bladed grass camo. Oh, and yeah. I, I just did that with that one. And I mean, that full gun, it's only like four years old and it, it looks like it's about 20 years old. It rubs <laughs> yep. it out. It barely shoots anymore. The, uh, the pits that we hunted in Colorado, <coughs> I don't know if you guys pit hunt there. Is that is that what you guys do, or do you guys do like layout lines? Or oh, okay. So the pits out in Colorado that so we hunted. Sometimes, sometimes we do pit hunt. Sometimes we do layout blinds. A lot of times we uh, we don't even actually purposely goose hunt. Uh, I know a couple of years ago was probably the best I found in my life. Uh, it froze the night before. It was a Saturday morning. We got up at three o'clock, and it was an hour drive to our spot, but on the lake. We had this cove on the lake, but we didn't ever pay attention. We were always hunting in the afternoon. Well, we decided to go out that morning because it was frozen, and we figured by the time the sun came out, all the birds would come flying. And uh, sure enough, we get into that cove, and as soon as the sun comes up, the sky went black because it turns out, and all the trees behind us was a goose and sandhill crane roost back there. Oh, and so man. when the sun came out, they just took off. All I'm telling you, ten minutes after sunrise, we were limited out on everything. It was insane. That is awesome. See, we we would pit hunt this field in in Colorado, and it was like in the middle of the city, basically. But it was technically oh, wow. we could hunt it, and but it was right. a it was just a pit, and so they brought a backhoe out and dug out the pit. And so when you're sitting down in it, all it is is a dirt right. box, basically, and then it's got and then it's got a piece of plywood with lids on top of it so that you can right. pop out. Well we had, we had every type of gun out there. I mean, we had dudes with tri-stars with Remingtons with Stogers with Benelli, like super black Eagle threes. I mean, everything, but there is just so much dirt flying around in there that it's like, nobody was free of jams. Like every, I mean, just chunks of dirt. You, you go to throw the lid back because the whole plywood on top of you is covered in dirt and then uh, corn stalks you know, to brush it in. And so it's like every right. time you flip the lid back, you're popping your gun out as you're flipping the lid back, you're getting yeah. rained down on. Like I'd go, sh- I'd shake my, ja- uh, my jacket or my shirt out and it would just be like pouring out chunks of dirt <laughs> and everyone's like freaking out. You know, they've got their brand new Benelli's out there and I'm sitting there with a stoger and I'm just like, dude, this thing has been yep. abused way more than any gun I've ever had. Yeah. I have uh that, that, before I had the 870 Super Mac, I just had the 870 Express, and I still have that thing. Well, actually, I, uh, I traded my stepdad a bow for it a couple of years ago, and uh, but that thing, it got the wood stock, but I painted it black and camo, just like I do with every other shotgun I have that I haven't bought that I have that wasn't camo. And there's literal, looks like somebody took a pocket knife and just dug into that wood stock. It was all beat up and chewed up. The barrel looks like somebody took a grinder to it. It's and it's messed up. But Man. hands down, probably one of the best shots I've ever had. Dude, I got I had a super nice rifle that it was one of the nicer rifles I've ever owned. It was a Montana Rifle Company 338 Win Mag. And yes. I got it. I got it for elk hunting. When I knew I was moving out to Colorado, I picked it up. 
and I brought it out. And like, anytime I would transport it, I don't know why I've always been in the habit of just taking the bolt out. And then I'd put the bolt behind the stock or like behind the, um, butt of the gun in the case. And so we get out there and, um, we, it was like opening day. We hop on the four wheelers. We've got our cases like strapped to the back of the four wheeler. Cause you have to have a hard case when you're yeah. driving around and we go to open it up, open the case up as we got out to hike. And my, my bolt had rattled from how long we were on the four wheelers and hitting bumps and stuff. Oh, no. It had rattled all the way up, chipped the entire cheek piece <laughs> on the rifle, oh, the receiver no. for the bolt was all beat up. I mean, it was like Cerakoted, like black, but it was just metal on metal, just like repeatedly just vibrating and hitting it over and over. I chipped everything on up on that gun. And I, I never did get that bolt to go back in like as smooth as it it had before, but I ended up trading the gun for a bow and I still have the bow and I shoot it all the time. So it served its purpose. I got one elk with it. I have a bow hunted since high school. And there's a reason behind that is my dad got his first, well, first bow I know of when I was probably six or seven. And then when I was eight, a couple of years before my parents divorced, my dad bought me a bow for Christmas because I wanted to get into it. And I practiced every single day. I mean, every day after school, I was out there in the yard shooting, shooting. And I got to the point where at nine years old, at the max at that time, back then you couldn't shoot a deer Unless it was, unless you had a 35 pound draw weight or over. And I don't know if they changed that or not, but I had this little, I don't remember what kind of boat it was. I want to say it was a Parker. And it was, it was a youth boat, you know, and I had it, my dad had it cranked all the way up. It was sitting at 42 pounds. And at nine years old, I was grouping at 30 yards, you know, tight as, as, as real tight. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And then my sophomore year in high school, where we lived at a time, I was living with my mom and stepdad then. Um, we had their place. My stepdad had 20 acres there, but then the property next door was like 160 acres. Well, the guy that ran his cows on it, he worked for Devon Energy. Well, he leased it from Devon Energy for his cows. Well, he told us, you can hunt out there, just don't kill my cows. You know, yeah. take care of the place, don't tear it up. So a 40-yard walk from the house across the fence through the trees, I had a tree stand set up with a deer feeder, and it was probably 10 yards from the stand of the feeder. And I had this 12 point that I caught on game camera. And I mean, he was huge. And uh, I hunted every single afternoon after school, after football practice, I was out there. I was in that blind, in that blind. And finally, one afternoon, he finally comes out. Well, my stepdad had one of his customers from the company he worked for. He brought him hunting. He'd never killed a javelina. He had a huge javelina problem there. So for whatever reason, for 40 yards shooting this dude brought a freaking 338 lapua to shoot a javelina <laughs> and so from my stand to that stand it's like 250 yards straight across the brush you know but you could shoot a 338 through there and you're not going to hit me and through that too i mean it's, it's just thick brush you know yeah and so i'm sitting there playing on my phone you know as a teenager would and I look up and that 12 point standing underneath your feet, you're eating corn. It's like, oh, finally, you know, I, I still to this day have not killed anything with a bow. So I slowly stand up and I draw back. And at this time, I actually had a different bow and I was sitting at 56 pounds. And uh, I drew back and I was sitting there in my release. I lined up my sight and I was just about to pull the trigger when the guy that was hunting with my stepdad pulled the trigger on that giant 338. And I never got a shot off that deer and it broke my heart. And that's why I quit bow hunting. 
for oh, a long man. time. I wanted to get back into it because just two days later, it was on the weekend and I was, my mom and I were going into town. My dad and I said that and I was going into town and uh, there was a dead deer on the side of the road with a damn 12 point. Somebody oh, man. And oh, I, I, I swore it off for years and I actually, I was just talking to my wife Amanda the other day and I told her, I was like, I really, I've got my eyes set on the new Hoyt and I think it's like 1300 bucks for it, but it's the perfect bow I've ever seen in my life. And I really, truly want to get it. Just because I, I want to get back into bow hunting again. Yeah. I, I missed the thrill of it. Man, I love it. And I love just being able to go out and shoot every day. Like now with oh, yeah. not being able to find any ammo, like I can't just go out and shoot my rifle all the time. Yeah, but to just exactly. get out and shoot my shoot arrows all the time, that's one of my favorite things to do. Yep. Well, What's hey man, we're use? we're coming up on time here. Um yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed talking. I feel like I could talk to you for another five hours. <laughs> but um, I've got a I've actually got a four wheeler that I've got to go repair. I've got two buddies meeting over at my friend's house. Um, the guy whose property we rent, he he was like he knew I was going out to Colorado this fall, and I'm looking for a four wheeler or a side by side to use. And he's like, "Hey man, you can take my four wheeler out oh, if wow. you want to uh, if you want to mess with it a little bit." So we went and loaded it up, cleaned the carb awesome. out on it, but I picked up a spark plug and I've got a air intake hose that I've got to replace on it. And so I'm about to go meet them. Awesome. Um, but I want to give you a chance real quick uh, <laughs> for anybody listening that wants to follow what you do, what you're into your journey in the outdoors. How can they, how can they follow you on social media? Uh, right now I just have my Facebook. I have a TikTok, but I can't remember the name of TikTok. I don't, I don't have like three videos, but I have a YouTube channel that I'm working on trying to get some more content. I've only got one video, but it's Metex Wildlife. It's all capitalized for Metex. It's N-E-T-E-X and then Wildlife. Um, finally, you can subscribe there. I've only got one video, like I said, but I'm working on trying to get some more content out for anybody who wants to watch. Nice. And then one last thing. I'm going to give you a final word. I call this segment emptying the chamber. So if there's anything you yep. want to leave the listeners with, um here's your chance um well get out there you know take chances you know a lot of people i know that i meet all over the country where i'm traveling to work i ask them i talk to people you hunt you fish oh i just i don't know man i have time i just don't know i want to you know take the chance you know there's so many people that are scared of a grasshopper you know put some boats around get out there and enjoy the outdoors you know god God didn't create this for us to just live on it. He created us for us to enjoy it. And I think that's what I'd like to leave people with. Is, you know, get out there and enjoy life. Don't don't let the hustle and bustle of everyday life get you down. Because before you know it, you're going to be on your deathbed and you're going to regret not having fun. Absolutely. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad we were able to finally make this happen. Yes. And we're going to have to say in, Yeah, third time. But uh, we're going to have to stay in touch and get you up here on a oh, on a turkey hunt next year. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you all enjoyed it. I definitely had a good time chatting with Zach, and I look forward to making a hunt happen with him here in the near future. Um, something that I also look forward to is this fall when like all the different hunting seasons kick off. I've been connecting with a lot of different people, total strangers actually through the podcast, and now I feel like I've got a, a huge group of people that are going to be shooting me pictures like, hey man, check this deer out that I got. Um, last night or hey I'm heading out to the Dakotas to do some waterfowl or upland game hunting and so 
There's something about the camaraderie that comes with hunting and fishing and the outdoors that is exciting. And even if I don't have success out in the outdoors as far as like bringing meat home, I'm excited to hear about uh, others sharing those stories with me. So we're going to have a lot more people on this fall and we're going to cover a wide range of topics and hunts. So I hope you all enjoy it. If you haven't been getting out, get out and do some like trail camera scouting or just go glass a field, set up a spotting scope, go out and fish or frog gig. I hope you guys are out there doing it. And if you're listening to my podcasts, I'm guessing you love the outdoors enough to where you're finding something to keep you busy. But we're going to hop off of this one. Until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.